One of the things I've really missed is hearing you sing. Now, that feeling might not be reciprocated. You probably haven't missed hearing me sing, but just wait till heaven. I'll have some voice then. But there is something about gathering and even just being together. And there's something about singing God's praises together. There's something beyond even just that sense that we get in communal singing, whether it's at a karaoke night or whether it's at a football match. There is something infectious about a group of people singing and being part of it. But beyond that, singing the praises of God and hearing our brothers and sisters worshiping the God that we love, there's something richer and deeper in it. And as we gather together and pray together and praise together and hear God speak together, there's something richer in being together. We've thought about worship and why it is important that we gather. We thought a couple of weeks ago about how the church, as it gathers, is a witness to the world around us that there's a God and that we are an outpost of heaven, um, an embassy of heaven. But when we gather for worship, before it is those things, it is something else. It is our response to a God who we love and whom we have come to know. And it's a two-way communication because as we gather as God's people, God himself says, I will be there in the midst of you to bless you. I will make myself known. And so he reveals himself to us and we respond in worship as he reveals himself to us. And the, the Psalms are full of this hunger and this longing. Psalm 27, we looked at it, I think, at the start of the year. One thing I of the Lord desired and will seek to obtain that all days of my life I within the Lord's house may remain, that I the beauty of the Lord behold, may, and admire. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. Oh, the songwriter says, I long to be with the crowd that went to the, the festival to worship you, and I'm not with them, and I want to be with the people. Psalm 122, I joyed when to the house of God go up. They said to me, they were coming together to worship and praise God. And God makes himself known to his people as they do that. And you see, as we, as we gather, worship changes us. It changes us. There's a principle in the Bible that what we worship, we begin to resemble. What we revere, we resemble. And so if we revere or worship something or make a goal, make a goal of something that is less than human, what happens to us? Well, we become less than human. And perhaps you've seen that in people who've made their business their goal. Uh, and they end up trampling all over those around them. They become less than human. Those who've made money their goal. Uh, and it, it hardens them to others. Those who make something fleeting their goal, that they're always chasing, it's always moving on. 
And they're never happy because their lives have become fleeting and chasing. What we revere, we come to resemble. And so as we come to worship God, the amazing truth is the more we gaze at God and worship Him and come to know Him, the more we are shaped to become like Him. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul writes, And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed from one degree of glory into another. So the more we contemplate, the more we're changed. And this is all by way of a long introduction to Psalm 111 and 112. Because the poet does something here that's very clever. Psalm 111 and 112, they both start with, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's at the top of each. And after that statement, you have 22 lines. Both Psalms follow the Hebrew alphabet, A, B, C, D, or Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, right the way down to the last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And one of them, Psalm 111, is an A to Z of God, so that we can worship God. And the other one, Psalm 112, is an A to Z of the godly man or woman. And the psalmist has put those two together. And there they are printed on the page beside each other. And the, the, the lines, they echo each other many on many occasions. Look at it on the page yourself and you'll see. Look at verse 3, the second line of verse 3. Psalm 111, His righteousness endures forever. Psalm 112, verse 3, the second line. His, or their, meaning the godly man or woman, righteousness endures forever. Um, Verse 4, the second line, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Verse 4, the second line of Psalm 112, those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, the godly, that's what they're like. Uh, Psalm 111, verse uh, 7, his precepts are trustworthy. They're dependable. They're steadfast. They don't move. Verse 7 in Psalm 112, the godly man or woman, their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 111, uh, verse 8, they, meaning God's precepts, are established forever. Um, Verse 8 in Psalm 112, their hearts are secure. It's the same idea. Verse 9, He provided redemption to His people. That's what God did. He gives graciously and freely. Well, what are God's people like? Verse 9. Next Psalm. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. And so the the author has crafted these two Psalms so exquisitely to paint a portrait of God in one and then painting a portrait of godliness in the other. Is showing us that as we gaze at God, we become more and more like God. And so that's what we want to think about this morning. First thing that we want to see, our first and our third point are really quite brief. The bulk of what we're doing is the second point. But the first point is a call to praise. A call to praise. There it is in verse 1. Praise the Lord. 
praise the Lord. Now, God doesn't call us to praise Him because He needs His ego scratched or His ego massaged. It's more that we need our memories jolted because we forget how majestic, how wonderful God is. And so God's people have heard God's call to praise Him, and they do that to remind ourselves who our God is. To praise, to praise something. The word that's used in Hebrew here means to, to, to shine on it, to put a, a spotlight on it as it were. And here we are to put a spotlight on God, to remind ourselves who God is. You see, as we come and we, we sing praises to God, it's not that we sing a few psalms and then we get to the big bit, the sermon. And now, now we're really at the key bit of the, the service. No, every part of the service is vital. And as we sing God's praises, we are seeking to see something of God. And that should be our aim in every service. I want to see more of you, God. I want to see something of you today, whether it's in the singing, in the reading, in praying, the aim of prayer is to, to get a glimpse of our fatherly king on his throne who cares for us. As we hear his word, the aim is to hear him and to get a glimpse of him. And so this call to praise is not just to make up time. It's not to massage God's ego. It's to give us a glimpse of the glory of God. And do you see what the psalmist says here? He says, I will extol. I will give thanks to God. We're not going to forget what he's done and what he's like. We're going to re remind ourselves of it. And then he says he's going to do it with all my heart. You know, sometimes you meet people who are real fans of maybe an obscure television series. And they can tell you what happened in series three, episode four, to somebody who only appeared in that one show. And they'll tell you their whole backstory and why they had to appear in that show. Or maybe it's somebody who's a real fan of Lord of the Rings and they can explain to you the whole story that exists, not just in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, but the Silmarillion and all that was going on in Tolkien's life that led. They know everything. They have gazed long. They have gazed long at it. We're to gaze long at our God. We're to gaze long at Him. We are to do it with all our heart. The, the next verse says, they are pondered or they are sought out. We are to go hunting and digging for glimpses of our God, wanting to see more of Him. And so when we come to worship and even as we come to sing, and this is, this is a gathered activity, when does He do it? in the council of the upright and in the assembly. He's doing it with God's people gathered together, hearing each other singing the praises of God. And there's something we can do as we hear each other singing the praises of God. Listen this morning as you hear your brothers and sisters, some of them will, be, will, will, will all be singing, His ways are trustworthy and His ways are just. And you think of some of the difficulties they've been through. And you think, wow, they are saying that God's ways are trustworthy and just and good. Wow, that means something. If they can sing that line, 
then I need to believe that line. They speak to us as they sing, as we gather in the assembly of God's people. So here's this call to praise. And the point of praising is to help us gaze. And that is where he takes us to next. Secondly, a call to gaze. A call to gaze. And what we've got in the it's not quite the A, B, C because he's already given us A and B. So starting at C and running through to the end of the alphabet, he paints a portrait of God. And there's three big themes that come out in this portrait uh, that we are to gaze at. First of all, God is great in the service of his people. God is great in the service of his people. Great are the works of the Lord, verse 2. Verse 3, glorious and majestic are his deeds. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 4, he has caused his wonders to be remembered. And he goes on and on and on about God's works and how majestic and glorious and powerful and good and upright they are. And these words that are used to describe God's activity, works and deeds and wonders, are used in other places in specific ways to point to God's works of creation. The word works often refers to His works of creation. We read it in Psalm 119, verse 1. The spacious heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament displays His handiwork. It's that same word, same in Psalm 8. And the psalmist here is is giving us a signpost to God's creative work. He says, go and ponder it. Go and think about it. Let nature take you to nature's God, as Clark Maxwell's mum said to him. And then deeds. Deeds is often used in Scripture. This word deeds to refer to his providence, his orchestrating and arranging every detail and every interaction. Um, and every reaction in your life and all that happens around you. We're to be students of God's providence. We're to pause at it, to wonder at it, at how God brought you to hear the gospel, how God brought this into your life and that into your life, things that you thought were actually for harm, but he's worked for good. We're to be students of them. And wonders, that word wonders there, oh, we love that word. We do love that word. Some of you remember um, Johnny's father preaching a sermon as anything too hard for the Lord. It's the same word. Anything too wonderful. Anything too marvelous. Anything too impossible. And Zacharias, God says, it may seem marvelous to you, but is it marvelous to me? You know, he's saying it might seem like a big impossible thing to you, but easy for me. Do you, we're to consider the, the astonishing things that God does. And this word is often used in Scripture about God's saving work. And so the psalmist is saying here, look at the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God, the graciousness of God in His creation, in His providence, and in His salvation. Go and consider it. But something struck me as odd as I was looking at this this week. In Psalm 8, 
Psalm 19 that we read, in Psalm 103, in Psalm 105, and Psalm 106, the psalmist unpacks God's work of creation. He unpacks God's work of redemption. He unpacks God's work of providence. He details it, but not here. I thought to myself, why does he not spell it out for us? Okay, he's trying to keep within 22 lines, but surely he could have given us some pointers. I thought, well, two reasons maybe. One is he doesn't want to limit us. Go and search them out, he says. They're pondered. They're sought out. Go and look. He says, there's your three big areas. Creation, providence, and redemption. Go and search it out. Go and mine and dig and you'll find gold and you'll praise God. But the second part of it is he's not so much interested in what God does but what God's actions tell us about him. The character of our God. His character. If you look at this, actually looking down through it, the lines alternate between things he does and what he's like. Verse 3, glorious and majestic are his deeds. That's his works. His character, his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. His deeds, his character, the Lord is gracious and is just. He provides food, action, character. He remembers. He's faithful. And so he's been interweaving his, his works and his character so that we see something of our God. Again, Maxwell's mum Look up through nature's wonders, providence's wonders, salvation's wonders, to see your God. Great deeds display His greatness. Majestic deeds display His majesty. Gracious deeds display His gracious character. This is our God. Do you see? Do you see Him? Gaze. Gaze at the greatness of of your God? Do you need reminded of His power? Do you need reminded that He is just? Well, the psalm says, look at His deeds, His saving deeds, and you'll see His justice and His righteousness. So, that's the, the first big theme in this section. The second big theme, and we'll be more briefly with the second and the third, He is tender in His care of His people. Oh, we're to be blown away by His powerful deeds and His glorious deeds and His majestic deeds. But the psalmist says there's more than that. There's more than that. He's not just powerful. He doesn't just do impossible things to show off His power and to fill us with amazement. But we read, He is gracious and compassionate. He is gracious and compassionate. Look at the next line in verse 5. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. And now do you see, there's an echo of that verse on down the psalm. Verse 9. He provides redemption for his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. There's his tender care, his compassion. He sees his people hungry and he gives them food. He sees his people damned and he gives them salvation. What does it cost? It's free to us. Because he's gracious. Here's the tender care of our God. His love extends 
from heaven right down to the hearth. It's not just eternal life, but it's a daily loaf that He gives us. His eye sees all, and His heart cares for all. His care extends not just to our salvation, but to a mother's concern. What am I going to put on the table for my children? And our God sees, and our God cares. He's generous. His generous heart extends even, it says, to giving a home <clears throat> to His people. Verse, uh, verse 6, He has shown His people the power of His works, giving them lands of other nations. What was pictured in the promised land is going to be the ultimate destination of all of God's people, a new heavens and a new earth, a home of righteousness, a tender, generous God. Do you need to be reminded? Do you need to ponder the tender care of God? Well, hear it when your fellow Christians sing in praise to God. We see His, tender, his tenderness in the care of His people. And then thirdly, the third big theme, His faithfulness in his commitment to His people. His greatness in His service to His people. His tenderness in the care of His people. And His faithfulness in His commitment to His people. As we move through the psalm, the focus shifts from His works to His Word. And we see that in verse 7, the last bit, precepts, verse 8 as well, speaks about His Word. And then, Bracketing that on either side, it speaks about a God who remembers His covenant forever. Not only is He powerful, not only is He loving, but He is constant. He is constant in it. Whether it's for our daily basics or our eternal life, God is committed to His people. He has bound Himself to His people. His faithfulness is seen in His works. Verse 7, the first phrase, the works of His hands are faithful. And in the second phrase, His word is faithful. You can count on Him. And oh, how we need to remember this when hard things happen to us and we, we don't understand what God is working in our lives. We need to remember that His ways are faithful and just. When God's promises seem to be slow in happening, His precepts are trustworthy. We need to gaze at God so that we become convinced of His faithfulness. His works don't need us to be rethought. You know, sometimes you do something and you've launched into it and you think, you know what? I need to start again. <clears throat> Never once in his existence has God thought, you know what, I need to start again. You know, sometimes you say something and you think, I didn't put that the best way. I wish I could recall my words. Never once in his existence has God had to rethink his words. His precepts, his precepts are trustworthy. And the ultimate proof of all of this is what happened at the cross. There we see His greatness, 
Only God could live a life that was perfect. There we see His love. Man deserved to die. But God says, I'll step in and I'll take the punishment. And there we see His faithfulness. Even though it was awful, He had said He would do it and He sticks to doing it. There at the cross we see all of these coming together. And we gaze at our God and we see His greatness and His tender love. And we see His commitment to His people. And we gaze at the cross. It helps us to see more of God in all His character. And it helps us to praise Him and to trust Him. Do you doubt God's commitment at times? Well, come and gaze and ponder and seek out and delight in His commitment to you. And it will help you to trust Him. Gaze, gaze at God. And hear the voices of your fellow believers. And you know their story. And hear their song as they sing. This helps me to trust Him. And hear some other voices. Hear the people of God in heaven. And that great assembly up there singing about how great His works are. And how glorious his works are. And as they sing that he is faithful. And he can be trusted. And he holds on to his people forever. And this song can be sung by the people of God. In eternity. In heaven. And we can hear the echo of them singing it to us. Saying keep going. He is all that this psalm says. And more than that. There's another voice we hear singing it. I don't know if it's a bass or a tenor, but it has a Galilean accent. Lord Jesus Christ. He is the inside track of what his father's like. And this is his portrait by the help of the spirit of his father. He says, this is what he's done. This is what my father is like. You can trust him. And so we're called to gaze. At our God, so that we will praise our God. And there's one last thing that the psalm finishes with. The last three lines, excuse me, last three lines, you might think that the songwriter has sort of run into a brick wall mentally. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Has he run out of an alphabet line? Did he get this far and think, you know, I'm stuck and I'll just nick a proverb from the book of Proverbs and we'll put it in here. Because that's what that is. That's a line from the book of Proverbs. But why? Why is it there? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of That doesn't seem to fit. Oh, but it does fit. Because you see the previous line, holy and awesome is his name. All that he's been saying is to fill us with a sense of awe at who God is and love at God's love for us and amazement at his commitment. And that's what the Bible means by the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord isn't a cowering terror. It's an amazement at the creator's power and a thrilled delight at his intense love. It's those two things together. So it's not just awe. Awe has captures the idea of looking at the creator and his power but the fear of the lord goes deeper it reaches into the very depths of our heart and 
shows us the astonishing love of God that mingles with the power of God. And we are left in open mouth admiration. This is my God. And that changes everything. And if he is that powerful, and he is that loving, and he is that faithful, then I can live for him day in, day out. I can live for him. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A right view of God. A gazing at God that amazes us and thrills us and shapes us and changes us. Well, that's how you live life. That's how you live life well. So verse 10 is saying it's a call to live in the light of our gaze and our praise. Call to live in the light of our gaze and our praise. That's how we live well in this world that God has placed us in. And maybe for some here this morning or some watching, that's where you need to start. You need to start with gazing at God because you haven't yet come to know him or come to acknowledge him as the creator and come to know him as your savior. And you need to do that. You need to see that the one that you reject is the creator of heaven and earth who holds you, as it were, by a thread, your life by a thread over an eternity in hell. But you also need to see that this same creator God would be your redeemer and rather than plunge you into hell, would plunge himself into it so that you could be safe forever. And you need to come to him and say, oh, oh, what an awesome and loving God you are. Do that for me. Do that for me. And astonishingly, he will do it. And then you will begin to live wisely. And you will praise him forever. For those of us who have done that, we need to set our gaze on God. We need to set our gaze on God and seek out his glorious greatness. We need to seek out his tender ways. And we need to seek out his faithfulness. That will shape how we live every day. Whether we're worried about the food on the table or worried about salvation or anything in between. That will help us to live. Amen. Let us stand as we come to God in prayer. Oh, Lord God. We wanted to see more of you this morning. In your kindness, you have enabled us to see more. You've shown us a glimpse of your greatness and tenderness and faithfulness. And we have heard, we have heard that lovely voice of our Savior tell us from the throne in heaven that his Father can be trusted. And there is compassion and grace and mercy and love from our awesome God. And so help us to be amazed and thrilled and help us to seek out and to delight in all that we can gaze at in our God. We pray you'd help us in our daily Bible reading, in our gathering for worship, to see, to see more of God. Let us cry out, show me your glory, Lord, that I might see you and then live for you. Oh, Father, for those we know and love who have not yet bowed the knee before your kingly majesty, 
and before your saving grace. Lord, cause them to turn to you, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.